and welcome back to another episode of Brides of Frankenstein. I am Alyssa Oriema. I am Lindsay Sletzik. And we hope you are having a lovely weekend. We hope your weekend is going as well as ours is. Yes, we hope you are having a, a, a the, the best, the absolute best weekend. Well, perhaps, perhaps the best weekend in four years. Exactly. We are so excited because this is the movie that we're covering today is... Mm-hmm. not only one of our favorites of the genre of the last several years, but I would put it as one of the best horror movies ever made. Uh, I, yeah, I would agree with you. And it is a movie that I really didn't think was going to be as good as it is, mm-hmm. although all the promotional materials mm-hmm. convinced me that it was going to be yes. really good. And, and it was to the point where I was scared to go see it because I wasn't mm. sure of how, you know, how it was going to impact me. So before, before we get too deep into that, let's just introduce the movie. Today, we are going to be covering James Wan's 2013 The Conjuring, based yes. on, yay, based on a case by, from the mm. very famous Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, going back to what you said before, um, I agree with you when it, first was getting released I I wanted it to be good but I didn't think it would be I and I think part of it for me was that it was being released in the middle of July which I thought was a very strange time for a horror movie to be to be to be released into theaters like you don't think of like high summer as a horror movie time which is funny because now that is when the tentpole horror movie usually tends to get released with the exception of things that are very much like niche kind of like Halloween or, or something like that or that are or like when scary stories to tell in the dark came out like that was a mid-September to October release yeah this movie came out in June or July and July, July mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it I think single-handedly created a a moment in the summer where horror movies get released there is this I thing yeah I would have to I would have to dig into it a little bit more to see like whether or not there was a trend of horror movies being released in the summer before that but to my like to my memory I I can't I can't think of anything like off the top of my head that came right. out like in the in the the, the peak of summer mm-hmm maybe they were expecting it to be a blockbuster. Like maybe they were expecting it to do well. I mean, they, I mean, it was, they weren't expecting it to do as well as it, as it did. And I think because James Wan has that pedigree Mm. and you know, it's James Wan. He did, he did insidious the year before, right? With Patrick Wilson. With Patrick Wilson, of course. Yeah. So it's coming off of all of that. And Mm -hmm. you've got Mm -hmm. Academy Award Mm -hmm. nominees and in in the cast and you know, it's a very respected, group that's doing it um yeah yeah actors who have a pretty extensive filmography like prior to mm-hmm. this In movie a variety um, of different genres working right and, and, and highly and highly respected yeah as well i think working. like they weren't just genre actors not that genre actors shouldn't be respected because they absolutely should but this is different this is just uh, like somebody who you wouldn't yeah. people who you wouldn't expect to be in a movie like this uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, for better or worse, it was a, a cast that had what people might call like, quote unquote, legitimacy. 
Which, I mean, you can make, you can make the argument about whether or not that should be the case, but regardless, um, there were definitely people who had, like you said, like very, very well-known careers, uh, very well-known, very well-known careers, very, um, they have like a variety of pedigree. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And, and when I finally watched it, this movie scares the living bejesus out of me. And I don't know what it is. I don't, I I usually don't get scared of like exorcism movies. I used to be very, very scared of them as a child who went to church every Sunday. That, that, that idea scared the crap out of me. Now that doesn't scare me as much as like a home invasion sort of movie, but what scares me I mean, about this it, it movie, activates different fear. It activates Sense. a different fear. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that scares me about this movie, it's just the way that it was shot. That's honestly, it's that, very, that's what scares me. It's, it's not, it's not the topic. Like the topic itself, I'm like, whatever, haunted house, great. I, oh, I totally disagree with you, but I, I understand. I know, but we've talked I'm about very, this. We've talked I'm about very this. scared of haunted houses, yeah. Right. And, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't bother me really that much anymore. It's the, the way that this Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. shot and the decisions that were made in the production of it. That's what scares me. It's not the, it's not the concept. It's the execution. I totally, I totally get that. What, you know, it's funny about this movie. I saw it, I saw it in the theaters fairly shortly after it came out, not like the first week, but maybe the second or third. And I went and saw it by myself because no one, no one would go with me. Right. My roommates at the time were not horror movie people. I didn't have. And and this is when you were still living in Virginia. This is yeah. Correct. You know, I've, I've never, I I don't have a problem going to the movies by myself. I actually very much enjoy it. And I I do too. Yeah. Like I, and in my head, because you don't typically think of summer as the time where like, the high intensity horror movies come out like you figure they save them for like the fall or like early winter or that's going to be dumb and like not scary and i saw i saw the trailer and i thought trailer's very creepy trailer's and great that's kind of what like that's what i had in my head going into the theater like oh well hopefully i'll be a little creeped out and it'll be a fun afternoon and it scared the bejesus out of me like i was not prepared and maybe, maybe that's part of why it was so scary to me that, that first time, because yep. I was going in thinking like, oh, whatever, mm-hmm. but it was terrifying. And I remember, I remember walking out to my car after the movie because the parking lot was like behind the theater. So you go out like after the movie's over, instead of going back out through the lobby, you exit the back, the rear of the theater into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. It was like a Saturday afternoon, like middle of the day, dead of July, bright sun, like full, yeah. like cloudless sky. And I feel like I was looking over my shoulder the entire walk back to my car. And I even remember like driving home at one point, like I was at a red light and I caught a glimpse of like the guy in the car behind me in my rear view mirror. And it made me jump in my seat because I was convinced it was like someone in my backseat. Like that, that's what, that's what makes this movie so scary. It gives you that feeling that you have to like watch over your shoulder. It pings at like paranoia. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think for me, what this movie does <clears throat> is it, <clears throat> I, I, like going back to the idea of, of execution, the things that scare me are the waiting 
for something, knowing that something's going to happen and then the, the waiting for it to happen. And yes. I mean, yes, do I have generalized anxiety disorder? Yes, I do. And, uh, <laughs> but I don't like waiting for yeah. things in general. Yeah, it- so going into a movie called The Conjuring mm-hmm. about the Warrens, about one of their most quote unquote notorious cases, it's the long shots of a room and you just For know something's going to happen, but then it doesn't. And then <laughs> five seconds later, they, then it happens. Yeah. Um, they do a very good job of like faking you out with the scares without turning it into a jump scare. No, it's and so we're gonna get we're gonna get into this like a little bit later, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a movie that's successful because they don't rely on the jump scare to make it scary. It's very, it's very carpenter esque in the way they set it up and the way they very carpenter esque. It's very, it's very Raimi esque in the in the long setup shots and and James Wan talks a lot in. um, There's a great sort of mini documentary about the Conjuring universe mm-hmm. on YouTube called The Conjuring Faith and Fear. And James Wan talks about the original desire that he had when making The Conjuring mm-hmm. was he wanted to throw it back to the very tense horror movies of the 70s and the 80s. It's very reminiscent of that in in both the tone and the execution. James Wan is not afraid to take his time no. with this. But let's get into because I, I feel like we're we want there's so much that we want to talk about. We're ju- yeah, we're yeah, like, we're jumping the gun now. We're jumping into the talking <laughs> points. Super excited about it. But you know what's so good about it is that yes, it's a horror movie and it works really well as a horror movie. Mm. It's just a good movie. It's like it's just, just a good movie. It's just really well done, well written, well acted. And the stuff mm. that's not scary is still incredibly compelling. It's still compelling. Yeah. They capture the minutiae of these families uh, so Mm -hmm. incredibly well that you genuinely care about them. So we have a summary. We love our summaries. Yes, we do. And Lindsay, take it away. The Conjuring tells the story of the parent family, Carolyn, Roger, and their daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April, who bring in noted demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren, to investigate after they begin to experience paranormal activity in their new home. So the activity starts small, but begins almost immediately when the family dog, Sadie, refuses to go into the house, like literally the day that they move in. And I love these scenes of them moving in because it's the, it it really sets up James Wan's camera work. There's that shot of one of the girls, I forget which one, coming out Mm -hmm. of the, getting something from the car. She's going underneath the couch. She's she does, going, yeah, she ducks underneath the couch that the movers are carrying in. The and April grabs the the wind chime. On yeah, the, not April. The uh, I think it's Cindy goes to Cindy's the little one. Cindy's the little one. So the one yeah. um, with the wind chime is mm-hmm. hanging it up. There's all this motion, and it's very lived in. You know that they live. They lived in Jersey. They've moved to Rhode Island. The yeah. older, the oldest daughter's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> not happy she is not happy in Rhode Island I just love that part where they pull into the house and she's like do I get a, uh, do I get a choice on what I can do for my room or is that choice been taken away from me too like she's such know, a like all right drama queen. and Lily and Lily Taylor <laughs> and Lily Taylor is just like 
she'll find someone hot and, and it'll be fine. Like, <clears throat> don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, exactly. And the daughter that's most affected by all of this um, is played by Joey King. I know her mainly from the Ramona movie that came out about 10 years or so. So she's gone on to do, I think she's in those, those kissing booth movies on Netflix. Like she's done a lot of like she really was popular in, the act, the act move, the Gypsy Rose Blanchard movies. So she's really good. So it's great to see yeah. her as like kind of in the middle between <clears throat> when she was really it was, small. Yeah. This movie was a few years before like she really took off. Yeah. And it was right after Ramona. So she, was a name yeah. but like not really not in and the way were, not in the way that she might be now and mm-hmm. these kids these kids are spectacular they really are every single one of them like they are so good i hate kids in movies in horror movies most of the time because sometimes because they irritating. suck but this, <laughs> they're so good the whole family is so good yeah absolutely so they move into this new house yes the dog so they, move in, come in. they move into the new house the dog won't come in always trust and- the dog always trust the dog yeah if a dog says if a dog starts to act like things are off maybe take a second pass and you see all these shots of the dog like whining and the dog you like the dog is just not having it the dog's like demons so they move into the new house and you can tell that something hinky is going on yeah exactly the following morning carolyn comes downstairs and realizes that all of the clocks in the house have stopped at 307. And there's a giant bruise on her leg. And they yeah. make a joke that it was just them getting getting busy a little bit. And it implies, well, not implies. She says to yeah, Roger, yeah, are you too fried to christen the new the new house? And Roger's like, I'll show you fried. And he picks her up. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it, I'll tell you. And uh the next day <clears throat> she's making coffee and Roger says, Yeah, yeah. Clock's probably yeah. just got knocked around in the move. The other thing with the next morning is that when she wakes up and she's walking through the house, it's noticeably colder. And the oldest to... daughter says that there was a funky smell in her house. In her yeah, room. like something died. Like something died. Something and like, and, yeah. and Carolyn goes, well, is it gone? And she's like, yeah. She's like, then problem solved. Problem like solved. It's, she's just like <laughs> such a mom. And so she goes like, and she says to Roger, like speaking of getting knocked around, what did you do to me last night? And yeah. I love that because it's a little bit of a throw to Rosemary's baby where, I mean, not in the, not in the direct sense, but in the scene where where Mia Farrow gets raped by the devil. The next morning she wakes up and there's scratch marks all over her. And her husband Mm -hmm. says, oh, I'm sorry. I was a real animal last night. So gaslighting her into thinking, but in this, it's not gaslighting. They both think. No, no, no. It's just like the, the, the logical conclusion. So it was, it's just, and it's funny. They're both like, oh my God, like. And, and yeah, Roger, yeah, it's not treated like it's anything sinister. It's and just, I love that Roger's like, I love that when, when Roger sees it, he's like, I did that? Like, he's like, holy shit. <laughs> so, and then the mood is immediately killed because they find the dog dead outside. Yeah, actually, April. April, the youngest, which is awful. They, the the dog little kid goes and finds Sadie dead. So the activity after that continues to ramp up. You know, birds fly into the side of the house. Family photos that have been hung on the wall next to the stairs, like fall to the ground and shatter. Christine actually sees an entity in the bedroom she shares with Nancy that no one else is able to see at first. And she found a uh, music box um, well, Christine didn't find the music box. Um, I think April found the music box. April finds April finds a music box and she's now fiddling around with it. Yeah, and exactly. 
it's not like when you when you say music box you think old-fashioned like wooden jewelry boxes with the little ballerina mm-hmm. that turns no it's like a hammered tin like it looks like a circus tent yeah almost and when you open the lid inside there's a mirror with like a swirly pattern yeah. painted on it and then a weird creepy clown which you know my feelings on clowns yeah it's a very creepy looking toy but it's the kind of creepy where like if you're a little kid you wouldn't necessarily think of it that way you just think like oh cool music box you know what I mean yeah it's a it's a weird almost like carnival-esque sort of yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's very exactly. it's very unique to the to the tone of the film it is yeah absolutely yeah so particular particularly scary in the midst of all this activity is this entity's attempts to mimic a game that the girls play called hide and clap uh, which is basically a variation on hide and seek where the person who's it wears a blindfold and calls out for claps to help them find the people who are hiding. So they played this um, earlier in the movie, like on the first yeah, night. Yeah, they play it They play it the night that they move in. And and Carolyn's like, you guys shouldn't be playing this game in here because- You don't, yeah, you don't know the house. You're going to get hurt. Of the house. And yeah, exactly. That's exactly. how they find out that there's this basement that that's been boarded, been that's been boarded, boarded up. up. Yes, and, and and that wasn't included in the listing of the house. Yeah, they didn't so mention they didn't that there know that there was a basement at all. And they bought uh, the house on auction, so they didn't know that like what they were kind of expecting. Yeah, there wasn't the way that they bought it gives the impression that they were not told what was going on any, in the house anything. or anything. To the fact that they didn't know there was a basement, and they're like, "Why is why was this not put in to the listing? Like this is a huge yeah. basement." And they go down, yeah. they go down there, and it's. It's just a lot of like random antique crap. And there's all this and a weird old piano. And a weird old piano. Right. So they play that. So, so hide and clap is set up as not only this like runner in the movie, but also it's how the girls, the girls find the basement. Exactly. So in, in one scene, while the rest of the girls are at school, Carolyn is playing hide and clap with April. Mm-hmm. And she makes her way into, I think, Andrea's room. And there's like a big wardrobe on the opposite wall behind her. And she calls out for the claps and you see the doors open silently mm-hmm. and two hands come out from like in between the, the, the clothes that are hanging up and clap. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that April has actually been in another room the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we talk about how this movie is creepy without doing the jump scares, it's not played like a jump scare which makes it I think so much scarier like especially on the rewatch the tension that builds is is just like the sense of like dread that you get when you realize that the hands don't belong to April because that's the thing too when you watch that shot you actually see a pair of human hands come out from the closet yeah and every part of this movie the scares are very I mean there's a couple of special effects that are thrown in but in general, yeah. the scares are all very practical and they're yes. very simple. Like they're, very simple. Yeah. It's not really uh, special effects heavy. It's not super gory. Uh, it's no, really no. not that much blood except for like a, like a couple shots. The very end, basically. And, and James Wan doesn't necessarily do super special effects heavy horror movies. He did Aquaman. I'm going to push back on that because the last third of Insidious was a CGI nightmare. <laughs> 
Oh, well, insidious. Yeah. Once he gets a big budget, he's like, I'm going to do everything. But, and you even see that with the sequel to this movie. Like it's definitely. Yeah. With the man, with the slender man sort of thing. Yeah. 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 It still works, but it it still works, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same feel that this movie did. Right. We're like, we're like just a pair of hands coming out of the closet is enough to be terrifying. Right. And I like Um, that, that this movie is really, is really simple in that sense. Exactly. And, and you know, and and to that point, there's another scene a little bit later in the film where Carolyn is drawn to the basement stairs by the yep. sound of by the sound of the claps, mm-hmm. and she thinks it's the girls up and playing when they should be in bed. And at this point, she Roger to, is away, so there's no yes. like it's just the, it's just Carolyn and the girls. It's just Carolyn and the girls at that point, exactly. So she goes down to investigate and gets trapped in the basement after she gets kind of pushed down the stairs by this unseen invisible force. Uh Like it basically like slams the door in her face with such force that she falls down the stairs. So she kind of makes her way up back up to the top and she, she lights a match to try and see like what was behind her. And this is, this is maybe the best scare in the entire movie because it's such a fake out because every, every trailer and every teaser and every TV spot that was released for this movie features a shot of Carolyn hold, like holding up the lit match in front of her. And then a pair of hands comes out of the darkness behind her and claps right next to her ear. Like that shot is everywhere. So you know it's coming. Yep. The way the film like fakes you out with it, she lit the first match. And in my head, I'm like, oh, here comes, here comes the hands because we know it's coming. And then the match goes out. And it gives you just enough time to think, well, maybe they're not going to do it in the movie. Because, you know, sometimes trailers put things in that don't make it into the final cut. Yeah, or it's going to get shot in a way that's different than in the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I remember being in the theater and having just enough time to think, oh, maybe they're not doing it. And then she lights another match and then the hands come out. And it scared me so bad. I literally screamed in the middle of the theater. And I wasn't the only one. And I've been with you during horror movies. And I just got to say, you and I are very similar when watching horror movies, although you're much more quiet in your Mm. anticipatory dread of things happening. You like- you right. like to you like to say, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, I'm like, no, and I and I go and I go, no, no, no. Yeah. Like I don't. I mean, and I don't do that in the theater. I I do that when we're when we're of like, course, yeah. But in the theater, what happens to me is I kind of do like a turtle sort of thing where I just sink like, into the seat. My whole body just kind of like folds mm-hmm. in on itself, and yes. I just go like. Whereas yeah. Lindsay sits there and goes, Jesus. <laughs> oh God, Jesus. Oh shit. Like she just gets very much no, like, like, like there's a gun pointed at her face. It's so <laughs> good. It's so good. It, it, like it happened so when we true. watched, it definitely it's happened so when true. we watched A Quiet Place. I was all scrunched and you were just like, fuck. Like it was, it was so funny but when we're at home I'll be like no no ah!" like I just yeah yeah. when you're in the privacy of your own home you can do whatever you want oh yeah so Andrea gets attacked by the entity in her yeah so while yeah while Carolyn is actually locked in the basement Andrea gets attacked by the thing by the entity in her bedroom who 
leaps at her from the top of the the wardrobe yes and there's the same same wardrobe that the hands came out of so we have we've set up that one of the daughters cindy sleepwalks and this is something that is not new to that to them being in that house it's been like an on and off problem for a while now although she had not been doing it for some time before they moved into the house and then it kind of like picks back up once they move in there's but there's there are things that she is doing as she sleepwalks that are very new to this house right in particular she has a tense walk towards the wardrobe in andrea's room and then just sort of like hit her head against it but she's not like hitting her head she's she's trying to like walk into it it's just like walking towards it she's not smashing her head against it it's leaning no no no. it's not it's not anything violent it's more like she's trying to walk forward into it but you know because she's asleep she can't like pull open the door exactly yeah yeah and it's this weird sort of like thing that's happening and that moment where you look up to the top of the drawer the the armoire whatever it is and And the the thing is crouched on the top I can't no it's so scary it's so scary because it it, really it really is and that's that's the closest thing to I think to a jump scare that they have yeah but for me it wasn't even a jump scare for me it was no it's not but for me it was more like a oh like a because because like at this point we're almost an hour into the film and you've seen you've seen like the activity kind of ramping up but you haven't you haven't seen any like creatures yeah or any ghosts you know what I mean like that's the first time you actually see something that shouldn't be there and it's terrifying it's so upsetting it's, it's like legitimate like legitimately nightmare inducing it's so scary so now we finally have this moment where the two sort of stories that we've been following come together. And there's also, uh, at the same time as all of this stuff that's going on with the parents, you see the Warrens at their house, in, getting interviewed by people who come to visit them, to ask about presentations. things. At the very beginning of the movie, they, they're doing one of their other famous cases, the Annabelle case. They're like giving lectures and, and demonstrations at colleges. They're kind of doing their thing and they're, and they're well yeah. known in the area. Exactly. So you see, yeah, you see glimpses of the Warrens in their like professional and personal life. And it's kind of, they're kind of intercut with the family that we've been following up to this and point. And you get, you're getting these, these glimpses that something, mm-hmm. something happened to Lorraine very shortly before right. the events of the film. So there's this uncertainty about whether or not, mm-hmm. not that Ed doesn't trust Lorraine, but he's worried about her in a, yeah. in a way and he blames himself. And, and there's a moment where he's kind of looking, looking kind of guilty. And Lorraine says to him, like, stop blaming yourself. Yeah. So you, you already get a sense that there's something there they're working through. It's not about the relationship, but there's just something mm-hmm. that happened that kind of has diminished Lorraine's capacity a little bit. You can tell because I don't know what they did for the makeup or anything, but like Vera Farmiga at the beginning of this movie just looks drained. She looks drained. She looks drained. She looks tired. And yes, I, I feel like that has to be a makeup, some sort of makeup job or something, because I was like, what is like, there's something not quite right about the way that she looks. And then it hits it's, me this it's like she has like shadows under and her it, eyes. That's what it hit me the I mean? second, this most recent time is she's getting her energy back. 
She's still feeling the weight of what has happened to her. And it's, it's at this point that the two family stories intersect. Mm-hmm. Desperate for, for help with what's going on with her family, Carolyn actually seeks out the Warrens to come to the house and investigate for themselves. Upon arrival, Lorraine immediately realizes something is wrong when she sees like a dark shape clinging to Roger's back and move, like moving around like amongst the girls. Mm. So the Warrens agree to take the case, saying they'll need to come back and gather more evidence to present to the church in the likely event that they will need to perform an exorcism. And the main thing, too, the reason why it's, it takes a little bit longer the issue that they bump up against is mm-hmm. that the parents are not really religious and none baptized, of the girls are yeah. baptized. Go so the, the church is like, well, since I guess you're a bunch of godless heathens, like you're probably going to have to wait. Yeah. But he said, <laughs> but he does say, the, the priest does say that he'll, he's going to work as fast as he can. He's going to fast track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because they're like, because he's like, he wants to help, but he knows the red tape. Gotta love, gotta love, gotta love church red tape. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> We have to help them. And the priest is like, yeah, you're right. We, we do have to help them. Like I have yeah, to yeah. cut through all this, you know. Yeah, yeah, crap. exactly. So in the meantime, uh, the Warrens go home to do some research on the house and the property. And they discover that it was originally owned by Bathsheba Sherman in the 1800s, who was an accused witch who hanged herself after sacrificing her weak old child to the devil and cursing the land for anyone who would try to live on it after. I... Which- it's it seems most, a little bit much. It's the most extra thing. I love it so much because it's like she yeah. was caught sacrificing the baby to the devil. Then she cursed the land, proclaimed her love for Satan, and yeah. then hung herself from a tree. And it's just like, right. you diva, like, what are you doing? It's, it's worth noting, too, that while the events of this film are based on a real case, the backstory for Bathsheba is largely fiction. Yes, the, like, there was a Bathsheba Sherman. She was accused of witchcraft, but as far as I can tell, nothing ever came of it. Like she wasn't yeah. ever tried. She never killed herself. She probably never sacrificed a baby to Satan. There's um, a there's a there's a connection here that's being made to somebody from the Salem witch trials. They reference that she's related to Goody Esty, who was one of the women mm-hmm. accused of witchcraft in Salem. Which I think was also fictionalized, although yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think so too. That. I mean, it's definitely a Hollywood version. They're clearly making it a thing in this movie that being a witch, right. means, like you have sold yourself to the devil or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They hammer that home by including the fact that a string of murders and suicides followed in the years leading up to the parent family uh, moving into the house. And it was always a mom killing, they're killing the kids. It was often a mom killing her kids, but like there, there was the instance of like the maid killing herself as yeah. well. So they get it's to the like, house. Yeah. Something, is, yeah. something is obviously wrong there. And even before they get in the house, there's that shot of the camera going up and you see Lorraine's face and she already has this look on her face, like mm-hmm. something's not right. But then when Carolyn comes to the door, she immediately is like, oh, hello. Like she doesn't want to scare her. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that-, shot of, that shot of Lorraine outside the house too is very reminiscent of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As oh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Warrens come back a few days later with a host of equipment and two new assistants to try and capture the activity, including cameras that operate on motion and temperature sensors and black lights to track the appearance of hand and footprints. 
Uh, they oh. also tie bells to all the doorknobs to keep track of doors that open by themselves. During the initial investigation, while the rest of the family is like out for ice cream, Carolyn is taking a nap when the spirit of Bathsheba appears in front of her and vomits into her mouth, um, thus beginning the possession process. You could just not, I, I would, you know. That was, that's another very upsetting scene. Could, could, yeah. could have done without that. Could have done without that. That night, Cindy starts sleepwalking again and ends up in Andrea's room where an EVP can be heard of a voice luring her into the wardrobe. Roger and Ed run upstairs to discover a fake wall hiding a secret passage in the wardrobe, which is where they find Cindy uh, hiding. Lorraine squeezes in to try and investigate and discovers a noose hidden in like a little crawl space and then ends up crashing through the floor and falling all the way down into the basement. Once she's down there, she encounters first the ghost of one of Bathsheba's victims who's crouching like in the corner of the room saying, look what she made me do. Look what she made me do. And the the music box too comes into play in this scene because of the way she uses like the mirror in the lid to like see the ghost behind her. And then she comes face to face with the Bathsheba herself. And in her panic to get out of the basement, she loses her necklace when it snags on like a board or like a broken piece of wood or something. And we've mentioned that that's a necklace that her daughter, Judy, gave her. Correct, yeah. So they, one of the little little storylines in the movie mm-hmm. is that they're constantly leaving their daughter, Judy, with Lorraine's mother. And right. Judy kind of is, is fine with that, but she misses her parents. And there's this right. moment where they, uh, Lorraine's mother took Judy to a market or a tag sale and bought these two lockets. And the one that she gave Lorraine has Judy's picture in it. And the one that Judy is going to wear has her parent, like both of their parents' pictures. Right, in it. right. And she says, I miss you and daddy. It's a relatable moment of like work is taking them away from Judy. And you really do get right. the sense that they just really love Judy and they want her to be safe. Yes, yes. And she, and meanwhile, this whole time, Ed is just tearing the house apart, trying to get to her. Speaking out, yeah. And, you know, we've learned that the, the bad thing that happened was in an exorcism that happened a few months prior. Right, so it was another case they were investigating. There was this really traumatizing emotional, spiritual thing that happened to Lorraine because Lorraine's a clairvoyant and so she can see things and she can right. kind of sense the history of things. What she, it's called psychometry where you can touch something and get a glimpse like a of the mm-hmm. history of it and what was going on when that thing happened. So right. there's a moment in the exorcism where there's this thing that happens and Ed says, it says to, to Roger, I believe, anything that the rain sees or touches, you know, any, anytime she uses her skills, it takes something from her. And, yeah. and he says, it's a little piece each time, but this moment, when this happened, it took a big piece. And that she went to bed for right. eight days and wouldn't eat, wouldn't come out. So Ed is constantly kind of worried about her. Whereas Lorraine mm-hmm. is just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Let so, me, yeah, let me do my job. So Ed is so is like, Lorraine! And is like, like running through the house trying to find her. And then Lorraine comes up the stairs and says, 
she possesses she possesses the mother to kill the child and i love this camera shot because it goes to lorraine and ed where she's like she she makes the mom kill the child like she told me I, i found out what she does and the camera pans back around to carolyn who is just kind of standing there but it is you know you're right it is a very chilling shot and you can see carolyn standing there kind of stone-faced oh and it's like like, anybody else would be horrified by this news she's she just doesn't she doesn't really react and it's very it's very it's very scary in how quiet it is it's very much a like oh the call is already inside the house very yeah yeah, exactly exactly this is a thing that is happening that this also leads into one of the best shots in the movie because they're all kind of standing there Oh, when her, when Nancy's hair. Yeah. And all of a sudden you see this, a couple hairs on Nancy's head. Just it, like, yeah. It, it almost looks like uh like static electricity. It, it looks like, like static at first. And there's that moment where she kind of just, away. what? Like, like there's just, yeah, there's just enough time for some, for one of the girls to say Nancy. Boom, and then she, she is yanked across the room by the hair. And yeah, like literally dragged from one side of the room to the other and all the, all the all the guys are trying to like grab her and hold her in place and it finally ends when Lorraine manages to grab a pair of scissors and literally like cut her hair yeah thoroughly rattled the family decides to leave the house and stay at a motel for the time being as they're getting ready to leave Lorraine goes out back where she sees a vision of her daughter floating dead in the lake behind the house and she freaks out runs she back into out. the house calls her mom and it's like, put Judy on the phone, put Judy on the phone, put Judy on the phone. Where she sees this vision is also by the tree where April was sitting at the beginning of the movie. And she also had a vision earlier. Lorraine also had a vision earlier of Bathsheba hanging dead from the branches of the same tree. That that was in the trailer too. It's that moment of something. Well, it, this this line isn't where that is, but it's the something awful happened here, Ed. And there's mm-hmm. all of these moments where Lorraine's just in the house and she's just like, this is bad. Like she yeah. can tell immediately. And Ed is the one that does the, or assists with the exorcisms. He's more of like the knowledge base of everything. Like he's done a lot of the research. Whereas Lorraine is the yeah. spiritual medium of the two. Lorraine is definitely the more intuitive yes. of the two. Whereas Ed, you can tell you know what, you know the, what, let's, let's, let's just call it what it is. Ed is the nerd. Ed is the nerd for 100%. <laughs> yes. Ed is the one who reads all the books. He That's you know, right. works with the church. He is the, the logistics yeah. guy of all. Of yes, it. exactly. Exactly. Wants to make sure that everything is done correctly, you know, and it, like, even when, when Carolyn comes up to them and is like, there's something horrible happening in my house. Like you have to come help. Ed's like, well, you know, we, you know, we can come out a little later. We, it's getting a little late. We got to get home. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Carolyn's like, no, you have to come. And, and Lorraine's like, yes, we have to. We Lorraine, have to yeah. Together. Lorraine is the one that recognizes right away that something is off. Like this isn't just a hysterical woman, like running up to us in a parking lot, even though like, yes, it is, but th- like, there's more to it than that. She definitely recognizes that there's a problem. Yeah. And it goes and- beyond just paranoia and the next scene sort of brings up a runner that happens throughout these movies is the stuff following them home and, and yeah yeah exactly that kind exactly. of that impact on the house right so like that night while the rest of the family goes out to the motel and Ed and Lorraine are coming back home. home 
their their daughter yeah exactly their daughter judy is actually attacked in their home by bathsheba which like like serves as a warning for them to stop their investigation and it is that locket that gets uh left behind in the basement that provides that connection for her to go after their daughter like that's yeah bathsheba now sees it like yeah now now she knows how to hurt them yeah in like in the middle of all this too like literally right after they get home they get a call from roger who says that carolyn has left the motel and taken april and christine with her so even though they just got home ed and lorraine they turn right back around they, they turn right back around they go right back out um and they return to the house with roger where they find carolyn in the basement who has become possessed by bathsheba and she's attempting to kill april and christine is nowhere to be found and the hero of the movie, one of the heroes of the movie, there's a camera guy they bring in and also the other guy who I cop. believe is a cop. And yeah. to like basically who's acting as security for them. The camera audio visual guy is the guy that they work he, with a lot. He's basically, so, yeah, he's basically the tech guy. He's the tech guy. But the, the audio visual guy, while this whole scene's going on with them trying he's to the one. Yeah. figure he's, out- He's the one who goes into the house to, to look find for- Christine. Exactly. So while he, yeah, while he's looking for Christine back in the basement, they managed to kind of subdue Carolyn and tie her to a chair. And they realize they don't have time to wait for the Vatican's permission. Also, they can an exorcism. They, they go to try to get Lorraine out of the house and she- No, starts, Carolyn. They try, they try to get Carolyn out of the house. Yeah. They try to get and her Carolyn skin out of the house. Burn. Her skin starts to burn and- because they try to get her get her to the priest. Like, that's the whole thing. And yeah, and what Lorraine, does she say? Like, Lorraine says she, to Ed, she won't let her leave. She won't let her leave the house. If we take her out of the house, she'll die. At, at this point, they're kind, of, they're kind of out of options. And Ed realizes he's going to have to perform the exorcism himself. Which he's never done. He, and he's which, he's never, which he's never done. Because he's not, he's not an ordained priest or a member of the clergy or anything like that. And like, you know, like, okay. He's whatever. not a like, licensed, he's not licensed to do that. He's not, you know, like he's not the exorcist guy. Yeah, but he has, he, and, and, and this is something that they mention at the beginning of the movie when they're fielding questions from, I believe it's from the school. He says, you know, I'm not ordained to do that, but I've assisted on a lot. So you know that he's very much capable of this, but- Yeah, yeah he has a working knowledge of it, like, but oh that's, very, that's very different from actually like performing it yourself. Yeah, and you can tell his face is like, oh Lord. So in the middle of the exorcism, He's attacked by Bathsheba and Carolyn is able to escape and she goes after April again, who's kind of hidden herself. She's in like a little crawl space between yep. like the wall and the foundation of the house. So she, she's trying to, she tries to, she tries to go after April and, and Lorraine manages to get to like a crack in the, in the foundation where Lorraine is. No, you know what? She's, she's in the, the she's in the kitchen she's so she's like the floor above them and she manages and that's to... where they found christine was exactly in the floorboards in the kitchen yeah they like they pulled the floorboards and that's where she was hiding and lorraine manages to run back up to the kitchen and like kind of reach down through and the she hole. sticks her hand in and puts her grabs her like grabs her by the hair on well she puts her hand she ends up getting her hand on carolyn's head like actually on her head yeah yeah. And oh, yeah. You're right. And it's like, think about your family. This is your daughter. This is your you daughter. Know, you are stronger than this. And then Ed tells Roger to start like calling to 
Carolyn. Carolyn. So, yeah. so Roger starts doing it. And then at the, uh, at near the beginning of the movie, when Lorraine and Ed come to the house, there's this moment where Lorraine picks up a frame of a picture and immediately gets a vision in her head of this great day at the of the beach of the day the photo had. was taken. Yeah, yeah. And she uses that memory to help Carolyn kind of like break through. Yeah, and like um, think about you know your family. You know, remember them. Remember how much you love them. And it's it's so interesting because there's this moment where she kind of barfs. It's not really like a big dramatic like bleh, like the the, the, no, the no, demon comes no. out. It's just like a like the demon just kind of like let's go it's very it's very similar to uh that scene in the two towers where they yeah. break the curse on uh Thaden. oh yeah and it's just this like kind of, it's just like a slight you see his face slowly clear as the possession is broken it's so good like it's very it's very similar to that and then you know the sun comes out they take carolyn out the bruises just fade from her and mm-hmm. the family comes back they're all hugging and one of my favorite shots of this whole movie is when the little yeah. little Christine goes up to Lorraine and gives her the necklace back. And she's so cute too. Oh, she's so cute. And there's that moment at the beginning that near the middle where they're where they first arrived at the house and it's the first morning and she makes <clears throat> she gives Ed um a plate of pancakes. Like this yes. is for you. And it's just yeah. like these little cute little moments. And yeah. the movie ends with them back at the house. They put the music box on the shelf in their little museum of horrible uh-huh. stuff the last thing you hear is well tomorrow we got to go back out because the priest wants to talk to us about a case in Rhode Island, in, in Long Island which yeah. is Amityville and then there's another That's long it. panning shot of the whole of all the, ah, the and that part freaks yeah. me out the most it's just like oh even though, even though nothing happens nothing happens and I'm just like <laughs> oh god so the this movie is so damn good I it's a very very effective scary movie and it's effective because it's still scary on the rewatch we can both attest to it we both watched it within the last couple of weeks and it's still terrifying it's just unsettling and 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 I love and I love that it was rated r simply because like the because said it was just for terror like yeah. they said terror. I, I think I think they said there was no there was no one scene you could cut to make it less scary like it's just the whole which is crazy because I've seen PG-13 movies that are way more you know explicit <clears throat> in their score or their definitely you know things like that but it's it's so so but it's so interesting I think I think part of it at least for me is that this is a movie that sticks with you after you watch it. Oh like, yeah. There's I've seen plenty of horror that's like scary in the moment and then you can kind of like brush it off. Like it's fun like it's fun to watch and it definitely scares you when you're watching it. But mm-hmm. then it's over and you kind of go back to your the- day and it's fine. This is one that lingered for me and it lingered for a long long time and it's funny because I think the thing it it gets you right at the beginning because of the music it's like these weird horns and then all of a sudden they're just here and it's very incongruous because it's not when the scary stuff is going on that the music is like that no they don't do they don't do like the horror chords 
in no. with like the scares. It's not like that at all. And then whenever Ed and Lorraine have a quiet scene, the music is very, it's, it's not like, like lovely, lovely floaty violins. And stuff yeah. Like it's that. just, it's very quiet. <laughs> it's very sweet yeah. and it's very grounding. And then when there's other things going on, it's like this big, like Hans Zimmer, like noise. And I also love, and another one of the things about why this movie is so scary is that the, the science behind it, like not the science, but there's a system to it. So we yeah. didn't talk about Annabelle, but Annabelle is such a, it's such a different thing because it could have been so easily part of the movie, like as a whole, but they mm-hmm. really kind of set up like, this is something. And they, and I know that James Wan just wanted to talk about Annabelle, like that idea of Annabelle. Yes, and they used it as the opening to the movie to set up the Warrens and what they did. But it doesn't really tie into the overall plot. It comes back when- um, I mean, it comes, it comes back, but it's definitely, it's background. Yeah, and they, they actually open Annabelle Comes Home very similarly to this movie. Mm. And, and that scene kind of transitions into them bringing Annabelle home. So Annabelle, they th- the roommates think that, that the doll is possessed by this ghost of a girl named Annabelle. And they explain that demons don't possess objects, they possess people. And yeah. the doll, the, the demon was using the doll as a conduit and moving it around mm-hmm. to get inside the house. And Lorraine says it wanted to get inside of you. And, it was and like this, providing a pathway. Um, and this movie opens with just a close up shot of this scary ass doll. And we mentioned this on our first episode when I was talking about things that scare me personally. Yeah. yeah. When that shot came up, I was like, I forgot that this started with a doll. And I freaked. <laughs> I was so mad because the first yeah. 10 minutes of this movie are about yeah. a, a demon, not demon possessed doll, but like a doll that's being controlled by a demon. And I was oh, like, can I, can I, can I say though, I am very disappointed that they didn't use oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the original Annabelle. So the original Annabelle doll, if you look it up, it's this really creepy, like Raggedy Ann style doll, which is really scary because it is so simple and innocent looking and it just makes it that much creepier. Whereas the movie version of Annabelle is this like super spooky evil porcelain doll. It's just, it's so- I would never- bring this Annabelle. No, yeah. Home. First of all, no sane person would bring that into their house. Let me just what, say that. Like, what? No, don't do it. Absolutely. But but the not. but the other thing too is it's sort of incongruous with the 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 tone of the rest of the movie where it almost seems to downplay some of the scary moments. Like so not I, downplay, but I guess I would it does it doesn't rely on like the stereotypical like horror movie fodder to be scary. Right. I think pushing I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if this is pushing back, but I think it's, it's a very easy way to immediately scare the piss out of a very specific audience. You, no, you're right. And um, I feel like I might be in the minority with my opinion too, because a lot of people I've talked to have said like how scary the Anvil doll is. And obviously it's something that's well, you know, it's very effective for the movie itself. You know me. I know like, you. I'm just no. I'm, I'm taking. I'm taking you out of the equation. I'm talking okay. to other people now. No, no, um, I know what you mean. Um, we talked about like how how creepy the doll is, and I, I I feel like this is like oh, of course you're. Of course, this is this doll is a conduit for a demon. Like right. this doll looks like 
Satan ran a doll factory. Like this is awful looking. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Annabelle, the actual doll is just a Raggedy Ann doll. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I honestly think though, I, and I don't have any, like anything to back this up, but I think it might've been because they couldn't get the rights to Raggedy Ann and Andy. I mean, that's possible too. That's so very possible. They were like, okay, well, crap, we got to figure something else well, out. And they probably yeah. didn't want to design it in a way where Raggedy Ann and Andy, the company were like, yeah. well, you yeah. clearly just ripped off Raggedy Ann and Andy. Plus, you know, yeah. no, not really fair. great promotion for Raggedy Ann and Andy to be like, hey, this is a, this is one of the most possessed or demon conduit doll. Satan's favorite doll. Like Robert. <laughs> and I know you <laughs> wanted to talk that, about Robert the doll. And, oh yeah, but so I like but that. that but, idea. but like you, you know, if we're gonna talk about Robert the doll, like that doll is also scary because it is so innocuous looking until you get close to it and you see its cold, dead black eyes. Yeah, it's scary eyes. as hell. And I love that Robert, it's the, Robert the doll is terrifying. And he's just carrying that head. It's just so weird. And it's in it's really um, it's in Florida, uh, in the in the Keys. Everything weird is in Florida. Yeah, although. The Warrens' house is in Connecticut, which I think is great. Yeah, but they pulled all their bullshit from all over the country. And we'll talk about that. But I need to talk about someone that we have not mentioned. Patrick Wilson. We love him. Oh, my God. So his sort of metamorphosis into a horror movie person is mm-hmm. so freaking funny to me because I am a musical theater person, as is Wendy. As am I. And yes. so we have very kind of divergent first experiences of Patrick Wilson, but they happened around the same time. So my yes. first exposure to Patrick Wilson, I was watching the 2001 Tony Awards because the mm-hmm. producers was about to clean up and I was obsessed with the producers at the time. And that was the same year that the full Monty was up for best musical. That's right. And they did the song, let it go. And if you've seen the, the show, the full Monty, the way that it's produced is that they go the full Monty, but the, the whole idea is that the lights from behind the backlighting is so bright mm-hmm. that you can't see anything. So, I have seen, I've seen the full Monty twice and I can attest to that. Yeah. You can't, you can't see anything. It it completely works. And I mean, I think the the thing is, is that I really want to, I saw it in the local community theater production once uh, um, and it did work, but I was kind of nervous that the lights weren't going to be. It's weird. Yeah. On too much. I was like, please let the lights be on like really, really high, but, and it, Mm -hmm. and it worked. So he comes out little baby Patrick Wilson and he's the lead in that show. And I remember being like, Oh, who's that? He's cute. And then later on, he, I saw he was nominated for best actor and I was like, Mm. Oh my gosh. And so I was always kind of like, Oh, that guy from the full Monty. And then the next year they transferred the Royal theaters production, the rest ends production of Oklahoma to America. That's where I come into play because my first Broadway show ever was that production of Oklahoma in 2002 because my high school was doing Oklahoma um, at the time. So my mom's friend got tickets for her and her daughter and then like me, my mom and my sister. And we went to New York and saw the show. And I, like, like I said, my first Broadway show, 
ever. It was in the Gershwin, which is a fucking amazing theater. Gershwin's beautiful. Gershwin's amazing. Yeah, that it's the theater where Wicked is a thing. And it's be, and it's and it's gorgeous and humongous. It's, it's gorgeous. It's also it's the biggest Broadway theater too. It's like huge. It's enormous. So I was just, you know, I was just excited to go and see the go and see the show. I was a junior in high school. I didn't know fuck all about Broadway or anything like that. I just wanted to go and see a play. And the way the show opened, um, so the first the first song in the show is "Oh, What a Beautiful, oh, beautiful morning. morning." And so, like, like the curtain came up and the lights came up, and it's got you know this beautiful backdrop with all the the, the fucking corn and the lighting and what, like whatever. It's gorgeous. And then, like from off stage, you just heard this voice singing there's a bright golden haze on the meadow and if you're not familiar with patrick wilson's singing voice like you need to look him up he has stop everything stop everything go to youtube look it up right now (laughs) he has the clearest most perfect tenor i have ever heard in my life and he starts singing off stage and literally all the hairs just like on the back of my neck just stood straight up and this is before we even got a look at him because if you've never seen Patrick Wilson he's a very good looking man he's so Um, good looking so I was I was obsessed before he even walked onto the stage yep so now so like you said now to see him so he before this you know I think Mm -hmm. people got familiar with him because of Insidious and The Conjuring but yes he has done so much first of all he's classically trained he went to Carnegie Mellon I believe he was three years ahead of Joe Manganiello and Matt Bones yes. and so he's trained he's done a load of theater he mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. always the guy where if I see that it seems we've talked we've said this numerous times about different people but if I know Patrick Wilson's in a project I immediately kind of go no no well, that won't be too bad like that, like if nothing, if nothing else, he'll be very good. You know, he was in the 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 mini series of Angels in America. He played God. He was good. Joe, and he's got that golden boy look that is so good for that. He part. does. He does. He um, was in the Phantom of the Opera. He is the best part of that I mean, movie. That. He is the. He best is the best part of that, part of that movie. movie. And so, and then he and was it's in, nice. It was nice to have somebody in that movie who could sing. And then he was in Little Children <clears throat> with Kate Winslet. And I mean, he was, but that movie's brutal. That movie's that's a that's a that's a yikes movie. That movie's yikes, but it's like again, he's he is excellent, and so is Kate Winslet. But that's a hard fucking movie to watch. That's a hard. Well, it's like a lot of movies like that where you can appreciate it for the craft, but you never want to watch it again. Like Revolutionary Road. I really or uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, or in the bedroom, or like stuff like that, where it's like I appreciate these movies. I respect the craft. I respect mm. everyone is doing amazing work in this movie. I never want to watch am, this movie again. I, I am upset in a way that I don't enjoy. Like, I don't, I got, you're not going to go, I have an evening free. I'm going to watch Little Children. Like, that's a movie about. Absolutely not. Julia no, no, and, that's a movie. That's a movie you watch and then you need like two or three days to recover. You need to scrub your whole soul. Yeah. I really can't say enough how much I just thoroughly love him. He's so talented. Agreed. He Agreed. seems like the nicest. He seems like a really good dude. He, he's very funny on Twitter. He's hilarious on Twitter. And he and I just love how every once in a while he'll come out and do like a concert or like like yeah. he did the guy he did the guys and dolls a couple of years ago. That's and right. Then he did Brigadoon last year with Kelly O'Hara, who also goddess. He did Brigadoon. He replaced somebody. 
not mm-hmm. last minute, but there was somebody else who was going to play I mean, that part. It was, it was, it was fairly last minute. Like it was definitely like into the rehearsal process. Like oh. it wasn't like, it wasn't like the week before the show or anything, but they were definitely like, it was supposed to be Stephen least- Pasquale. It was supposed to be Stephen Pasquale. Ooh, upgrade. Which, well, Stephen Pasquale also would have been I, like, I, I mean, listen, I, I like Stephen Pasquale, but like, if I had to choose between the two of them, obviously I'm going to But, Wilson. oh my God. He's yeah. so good in everything. And there's clips of him in Brigadoon on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Go watch them. His, like what Lindsay said, his tenor is one of the clearest, most easy, like, and I, I say easy, but like, easeful like there's just effortless there's an effortlessness to it he's yes. like the male audra mcdonald where you're just like yeah yeah i like these, that that's very how, good or like philippa sue where you're like like like, like she's not even trying everything yeah. just is so effortless <clears throat> and you're just like yeah. how are you making these sounds there's no mixing there's just it yeah. doesn't sound like you're mixing it's just so clear excuse your mouth <laughs> what is happening and i also find him extremely hot and so anyway he is and, oh, the other thing that I wanted to say about Patrick Wilson is that there's one more thing. He, we can so say many things. The other thing that he did that I thought was so great was, first of all, he did a guest, he did a guest run on the show Girls, where he played a guy mm-hmm. that hooks up with Lena Dunham's character. And there was all of this stuff out in the ether, like the attitude that was put out there after the episode aired was mm-hmm. basically... There's no way that a guy like Patrick Wilson would hook up with a girl who looks like Lena Dunham. Like that was the- Oh, that's shitty. And Patrick Wilson come, came out and said, you all suck. Yeah, I, I remember this. Yes, yes. There is no, there's no kind of like rhyme or reason to who you're attracted to. They, they had this moment and it was, they had this connection, they had this chemistry yeah. and that's what matters. And everyone needs to shut up about Lena Dunham and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I mean, Lena Dunham- but, but, but you could you could you could lobby legitimate criticisms of Lena Dunham without going after her body. No, you could. Yeah. I mean, I love that she just shows her because her body is just normal and she can just yeah, she, she just shows looks her like body. A so for Patrick Wilson to come out and be like, I saw nothing she wrong with it. Yeah. I saw nothing weird about it. People enjoy each other mm-hmm. and have sex, and it's just the way it is. And I was just like, yeah. I love you. I love you, <laughs> no. So I immediately was like, Patrick Wilson. Oh my god. And then you get Vera Farmiga. Who is, oh my God. Who oh. is so good in this movie because mm-hmm. she plays, Lorraine is fragile, but she's not weak. Like you can tell that yeah. she's energetically drained because of this previous thing that happened to her. Right, right. But she's not wilting. Like she's just, she's got this conviction no. about her. Like even at the beginning where it's not to go to the parents, but it's this other case that they have. And Ed's like, I, I gotta go grocery shopping. I'll, I'll be back in a little bit. And Lorraine's He's like, like, you're such a liar. Why do you do that? In 15 years, do you think you've ever been able to lie to me? And you see so much of their relationship in that. And she says like, why do you even try lying to me? And Ed's like, okay, we have a case. And, and Lorraine's like, I'm coming with you. And yeah. at the end, when she's like, you told me that God brought us together for a reason and this is it. So shut up and just let me do what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, the way she stands her ground is awesome. The other thing that we, we wanted to talk about is uh, the Warrens as they are portrayed in the movie, as opposed to the Warrens as they actually were. Now, James Wan says in an interview that 
it was great that they had Lorraine as a person on set because Vera was able to talk to her and emulate her. And he says about Patrick's portrayal of Ed that Patrick's Mm -hmm. portrayal of Ed Warren is a very romanticized version of Ed. And Ed was much more practical. It wasn't like this kind of romanticized version of, of them. But I don't care. I love them in this movie. They are they are fantastic together in this movie. Like the chemistry between Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are like it, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's um, like a married couple chemistry, but it's not. It's very it's blah. very lived. It's very lived. No, no, no. but it's still vital. Like I and it's comfortable. Yes. and I think that something that we mentioned was you know we both grew up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. The Warrens are like a local legend here like yeah. they are very I mean they're, much- they're they're well known within the ghost hunting kind of community at large but it definitely has a different flavor in Connecticut itself like, yeah because it's that thing at least, you've grown up with you've grown yeah up with yeah no exactly and, and when I was in high school and college like they were almost the sort of like local legends yep it was before a lot of their cases started being kind of like debunked called into question yeah debunked. so exactly. it was yeah and, it, and it, it, we grew up thinking that they were the real thing and legit yeah exactly in fact were, i saw i saw them speak when i was in college i think my yep god i think my junior year like on halloween they came and did like an hour hour and a half presentation on uh, like, they didn't talk about exorcisms they they talked about ghosts and hauntings and they brought like photos and evidence from like various cases like small cases they didn't really talk about any of like the high profile things yeah it was more like uh, you know we went to this graveyard and here's what we found and then they showed like after they were done speaking they showed a screening of the amity horror, horror. But, like as, as far as like a halloween goes that's a great fucking halloween yeah like i remember that was a really came, night. they came to yukon my freshman year and i don't okay. know it scared me and uh, <laughs> okay because I was a scaredy cat, but a friend of mine went and said, oh my God, they showed this thing of like this guy who was like crying blood and like all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, yeah. and so it freaked me out. And so mm-hmm. the parts in this movie where they're, where they're showing video of the exorcism and the guy's tearing blood and a cross appears on his body. Like those are all yeah. things that Ed and Lorraine said happened. And yeah, yeah, things that they presented as evidence. And. I, I think when I found out that they were making a movie about Ed and Lorraine Warren, like cases from Ed and Lorraine Warren from kind of their perspective, I was yeah. like, damn, that sounds great. It's going to be great. Because we're from that area. And I mean, Monroe yeah. is like, from me is like an hour and in change. Like it's, it's way down in the valley. But it was so funny because I totally forgot. And then when we watched it and it said the Warren's home, Monroe, Connecticut, I went like, ah, yeah, ah! Connecticut. And the other thing too, and I mentioned this to Lindsay earlier, I was like, is Patrick Wilson trying to do a Connecticut accent? Because it sounds vaguely Chicago. I don't know. It's weird. Weird. I know. I didn't really, I meant to go back and listen to like some. I did. I did. did And it sounds, he's basically trying to do Ed's accent. Okay. All right, so that's so that's where that comes from. And Ed but it, from, it is, and Ed's from Bridgeport. Ed and Lorraine are both from Bridgeport. So, um, once the further south you go, 
in Connecticut. The closer the you more, get to like that New York slash Long Island. The more the accent yes. starts to get Long Island, New York. Uh-huh. So he's got uh-huh. that more like bitey accent to him. So I get yeah. that, but it was just funny because yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, we don't talk like we're in guys and dolls. Like, like what's going on? Like our <laughs> accent's more flat. It's more of like a, a yeah. smoothed yeah. out like mid-Atlantic. Like we don't talk, it's, none of us here talk like Catherine Hepburn. Like everybody thinks Connecticut, they all think that we're like. No, Connecticut is closest to like true neutral as far as the American accent goes. It's closest to what, when people say like you want to, flatten your accent down it's that's what yeah Connecticut is like phonetically that's the accent that is used as the model for that like and people say that like you know I I don't know if there's such a thing everyone's got an accent there's no there's no way to not have an accent yeah but it just depends on where you're at in Connecticut like what that's gonna what that's gonna sound Mm -hmm. like like the more east you go the more it's gonna sound like Rhode Island the more north you go the more it's gonna sound like Massachusetts so it's and I'm, like I'm a- from I'm from northern Connecticut like my hometown is right on the border so I get a little bit of that like Massachusetts like Worcester kind of and like, my especially, family like, especially with the R's like yep. and especially when I've been drinking like it tends to <laughs> it tends to come out yep and mine is more yeah. my family's from Philadelphia so I have more of that in me right but <clears throat> I'm also in the dead middle of Connecticut so it kind of just is you a are of, of everything yeah yeah so the Warrens so they, they, there's this mythos surrounding them and they had this museum and all of these different cases and obviously Amityville Mm -hmm. and everything. And over the last several years, there's been more and more evidence. I would say, yeah, within the last like five to 10 years, five to 10 years, there's been more and more people coming out saying this is not, and like people have been working side by side along with the Warrens, like doing this, people have been working alongside of that to try and debunk them. And it's only yeah. over the last couple of years that now people from those cases have come out and been like, yeah, no. this even well, even like this, this, this with the conjuring itself, like the family has been pretty vocal since the movie's release about how like the, the events of the hauntings were accurate. And in fact, I think the old starter Andrea was a uh, served as like a consult on yes. the film. Um, so she was there to ensure that the the events of the haunting were true, but they said the Warrens' like involvement with the That's case was definitely different. It's all it's all BS. Um, in fact, it, the uh, Sci-Fi has a series called Paranormal Witness, but they did a case. They did an episode on the case that The Conjuring is based on, and the family like they interviewed the remaining members of the family from the original case, who all basically said they showed up like the Warrens showed up and the activity got worse and they ended up kicking them out well I think for me and it got better it got better what that says to me and 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 they talked about this in the movie about how like their presence is an insult to the demons or whatever right because they're so religious and they're they're so kind of about the church so it's not surprising that if you if you if you're buying into the hauntings themselves which I do yeah, they, I mean, the, the family's been very vocal about the fact that, like, it yes, it happened. But, the, like, the Warrens, the Warrens are presented in the movie as, like, the solution to the problem. And they basically have gone public and said, nah, they didn't do shit. And the same thing with, we have, we'll, we'll eventually do The Conjuring 2, but that's similar to mm-hmm. what happened with Conjuring 2, was that the, they, they didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, they didn't really help. It's not that they were, they, they made it worse, but they, they didn't, they didn't do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, exactly. 
Um, Lorraine Warren was a consultant on the film and said, yeah, she said, everything that happens in this film happens the way that it happened. So as far as the events of what happened to the family, it is extremely accurate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of like side bars about the Warrens helping, like helping with like the, the dishes and the laundry and like, we're here to support you, like however we can. And the family has been pretty vocal. Like, like that's not what happened. they, They didn't. Yeah. And I mean, they had, and, and in fairness, I think that's like not something you would necessarily expect. If oh yeah. Like, and you can't, forget. and you can't film something where like the kid, the people show up and are like, just, you know, no, for jerks. no, for sure. But oh. it is, it, I think it is good to kind of keep in mind the way, like the portrayal in the movie is definitely not what they were uh, like. It, it doesn't definitely really bear much. Create, it definitely, it, it, it's, it's a movie that is about the mystique of the Warrens rather than what. Yes. And, and yes. if you want to listen to a really good last podcast on the left a few years ago, did a series on the Am- on Amityville. Oh, they're very good. They did one episode of what people say happened. Like the, the popular, then, like the, the lore. And then the what actually happened. actually happened. So I, yeah. and I love that because it's that, this is what mm-hmm. the Warrens and everybody said happened. And this is what got written. And this is what it's in the movie. And this is what actually got documented and right. what actually occurred. So I think that in terms of that, like you're, if you're going into it for a, if you're going into it for an, an accurate retelling of like the haunting that happened, this is a great one. But if you're going in for an accurate like portrayal of who the Warrens are, you're never going to get that because- You're not going to get that here. Get, no, because, no. You're not going to, I mean, unless there was a movie that was made about how the Warrens were con artists. And now that Lorraine and Ed are both passed on, maybe we'll get mm-hmm. that. Which I, I think would be very interesting. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and there's a lot, but of, movies, it's, oh, there's a lot of movies about exorcists that are con artists and then they stumble onto the real thing. Um, I just watched a movie like that. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's movies that are out there that are like that. But I do want to talk about the way that the marriages are <clears throat> portrayed in this movie because yeah because that's a major that's a major theme because one of the this is a movie about a marriage and it's about two marriages really but the ins and outs of a marriage and or like and like the day-to-day and Mm -hmm. how two people interact with each other and actually I would argue that all the Conjuring movies are movies about marriage James Wan has said he said in the interview Mm -hmm. that he did he was like I have always really kind of wanted to do a love story and he said I just you know I I managed to do it with this I just kind of put it into I snuck it into a horror movie and these movies really are a love story I mean and whether Mm -hmm. we just talked about you know the real Ed and Lorraine aren't really the way that they're portrayed in the movie but but the way but the way they're portrayed in the movie is so lovely it's so lovely and if you're the, so if you're if you're approaching it like strictly from a character perspective take take the like the fact that they're based on real people and like throw that out the window like the people that you see on screen are wonderful and yeah. they're they're easy to become invested in yeah and Juan says if you're invested in you know he works really hard at character mm-hmm. development and getting the audience to care yes. about the characters because yep. if you're invested in those characters mm-hmm. then you can put them into whatever situation and you're along for the ride because yeah. you'll yeah. you'll care about what happens and, and we talked about that in our Halloween episodes too like mm-hmm. if you want to make your movie scary and you want to dial up the intensity you need to create characters and relationships that your audience can get invested in because that's what's going to create that tension. If people only exist to be terrified and then killed, there's, it doesn't feel like there are any stakes. No, 
you need you need you need to have characters that the audience can connect with because yeah. that's gonna that's what's gonna make that's what's gonna make it scary and I you know kind of connecting to the marriage that this movie is very much deeply about Christianity in a way <laughs> that doesn't make me want to throw my computer throw my tv into the river it's very much about yeah. that like idea of having faith in a higher power and that mm -hmm. god yeah. will help you yeah. and there's so like we talked about it like their whole thing is like god brought us together for a reason and it, and this is it but they're also really playful with each other i love that moment when yeah. yeah ed's like well maybe we should just stop and you can write the book or whatever and yeah. lorraine says well do you know what you said to me on our wedding night and patrick wilson goes can we do it again <laughs> and and, <laughs> and lorraine goes after that after and it's <laughs> It's no, it's such a, it's such a, a, a cute little moment. Like it's very sweet. And going back to what you said about how uh, Christianity is uh, kind of a, a theme within this movie, like it yeah. is, but the characters who are not, uh, not religious, like the whole parent family is not, not religious at all. And they're never punished for it. Like, uh, like at no point do they like make it a point of saying, you are possessed because you don't believe in Jesus. I think the only time it becomes an issue is when they say, well, you know, if you're not baptized, like it's going to be harder to get the Vatican to approve the, approve an exorcism. And it, but it's not said in a way that's condemning anyone. It's more a comment on like, this is going to add some red tape. And they also were very like, and Lorraine said at one point in the interviews that they were doing with her on the set of, I believe Annabelle comes home or Conjuring mm -hmm. 2 or something like that. Yeah. She was saying it didn't matter if the people that we were helping weren't Christian. Like we, yeah, we, yeah, it was it. it helped never, everybody, and they never charged anyone. They never made yeah. anybody pay them. And she said, she says in the interview, she's no. like, "I never charged anyone for our services. We never made a dime off of this. We all no. We they made do was they made they made they made money off like their books and like the talks that they gave. They but, made like, money they off charged. of like pimping. Yeah, out well, yeah, that's how that's how they <laughs> live, that's how they earn their living. Like they never charged the people that they went they to investigate or help. And yeah, you know, exactly. you could call them, you know, kind of grifters or things like that. Which you know, there's an argument to be made that they are. But I really appreciate that they never they, they never, yeah they never they ne the they didn't make any them. money off of any of the people that they helped quote unquote. I also love that this is a marriage based on mutual care because in this movie, Ed is very concerned about Lorraine because of the, the experience that she had. And he's talking to Roger about it. Like, and Roger says, like, what, what happened? Like, what did she see? Because mm -hmm. there's this little flashback of like the, the possessed guy grabbing Lorraine and Lorraine like screaming. Yeah. And Ed says, I don't know what she saw and I'm not gonna make her tell me. Like, yeah, she's exactly. I've never, no, she won't tell me and I've never asked. And I yeah. won't ask. And I love that because he is letting yeah. her figure. I mean, he's clearly very concerned and he wants to protect her and he yeah. wants to yeah. make sure that she's okay and doesn't want to lose her. And he says that multiple times in the movie, like, I can't lose you. And, and, and I love Lorraine's going, you won't. But you gotta, let me, you gotta let me do my job. You gotta let me do my job. Like I'm letting yeah. you do your job. It scares me, but I got, yeah. you gotta exactly. let me do my job. And that's, you know what? That's a good parallel between between Ed and Lorraine and Carolyn and Roger too, is that in both marriages, there's sort of like an acceptance. There is. It's like very it much- start to go wrong. Like it, 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 the movie, this movie does such a good job of avoiding the, the hysterical wife trope. Oh that yeah. Comes play in a lot of, in a lot of horror movies and particularly a lot of haunted house or ghost movies where like 
the wife says something is wrong and the husband's like, oh, you're just imagining. Things. Oh, you have um, being a woman disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's so not, stupid. It's so stupid. And in this film, I mean, it is definitely Carolyn who takes the initiative to try and get, get help. help. But like at no point does Roger ever like question her or say like, oh, I think... I think you're imagining things or like, this is crazy or there's no, no such thing as good. He's the one like, who notices the, the bruises on the bruises. Like, yeah, exactly. well, well, she notices the first one, but then there's one on her back and he's like, you should get yeah. checked out by a doctor. Like there's something going on. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, he, he's very much aware that something is off. And so is it, like, there's ne- like, there's never a question at any point of whether or not he believes. Also, uh, quick shout out to ron livingston who just he does a great job in this movie he's just very we love him he's very very grounded he's very um it doesn't really feel like he's acting he's just kind of natural and he's very natural he does a good job of avoiding like the alpha male kind of character trope he can't really play an alpha male like he's not really an alpha male type of person (laughs) no but that's i mean that is definitely like the role of like the male character in oh yeah in haunted house movies like this like yes he's the one's like i'm gonna protect my family but and it's like yeah it's and very it's very refreshing to not see that like the before, like the marriage between roger and carolyn is definitely it feels like a partnership and even when you can see that there's like there's tension because you know like you know they have five kids like money's tight they're like we're gonna get through it it's gonna be fine things are difficult but yeah but like there's never any question like that these are two people who who love each other yeah, who respect each other and also who like each other. Yeah, and it's regular. You don't always see. Yeah, like not just in horror, but just in general, and like it's regular marriage stuff. It's regular yes. marriage stuff. Like yes, they have exactly. to come to Rhode Island. Ro- Roger's a truck driver. That's why he's gone a little bit of the movie because he's taking uh-huh. and yeah. he's taking lower commissions and longer trips. And you know, there's this moment where where Roger says like, "It's a week long turnaround. I have to go to Florida." And yeah. uh, Carolyn goes. Well, we'll get through it. It's fine. Yeah, we'll exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. Like they're definitely they're definitely in this. They have, Lily, they Taylor. Lily, of- Taylor. Lily Taylor, Lily Taylor, Lily Taylor, Lily Taylor, Lily Taylor is amazing in this movie. Holy crap! <laughs> I thought you were having a stroke. No, she's so good. <laughs> no, she's great. So she's good. so good. Yeah, no. And you talked about we talked about chemistry earlier. Like the chemistry between her and Ron Livingston is also fantastic. It's very in that same. In that same comfortable, lived in, but not boring. That comfortable, lived in, we have five kids, but we love each other. We like each other. Yeah. We're there for each other. Like they're still having, yeah, they're having a good time. We love love to see it. We love to see it. And I also love that there's these moments where when Ed and Lorraine are together, like Lorraine just kind of leans on Mm -hmm. Ed and it's just like, it's not like a clingy, like, it's just like, I do the same thing with my boyfriend. Like I just lean into him every once in a while and he just puts his arm around yeah. me and he like strokes my shoulder. And it's just like, yeah. it's just for the sake of just someone being there. It, it's just that physical nice. kind of presence. And it's just mm-hmm. a nice kind of grounding moment. And they just have this very natural kind of body language with each other, which mm-hmm. only increases in the second. In the second movie, there are moments in that movie where I'm just like, oh my God, this is the most romantic thing I've ever seen. And it's in a <laughs> whole right? movie. Oh my God. Like, but we'll get into that. <laughs> when we talk about The Conjuring 2 at another Later. point, would you recommend this movie, Lindsay? Of course I would. Yeah, I would. I, I would definitely recommend this movie. I fucking love this movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's 
so scary, but it's also just immensely very enjoyable yeah. to watch. And it's, you know what? It's, it's scary on the rewatch too. Like this has a very high rewatchability factor. Not it all is, horror does. It is extremely one, rewatchable. This, it, it still gets me. Like there are certain scenes that still get me every single time I watch it. Uh, this morning when I was watching it, there were like at least two moments where I went, went like, ah, I forgot. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Like I knew that was coming and I still, ugh. oh, like, it sucks. <laughs> and there's just like moments of just pure, just unsettling, like, and you feel kind of helpless because the family is just so lovely and you want to help them. And, yeah, exactly. And you're, you're, and you're very highly invested in all of the characters. It's like a, it's very much a, I mean, Henry Zabrowski says that horror is drama with very high stakes. And yeah, yeah, I, mean, I like that. This is incredibly high stakes. And it's, uh, very high stakes. and then yeah. you've got demons and Satan and marriage. And it, there's just so many things. There's so many like things that are in here that, that work. Yeah. And James Wan is. I, so they, they, they all come together to form the bigger picture. I think this is the kind of movie that could very easily overwhelm itself with all the different elements that they try to pull in and yes. all like the backstory that they try to incorporate and yes. they manage to balance it in a way that 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 makes sense and is very effective very effective mm-hmm. so that wraps up our discussion of the conjuring and mm-hmm. we have very similar palate cleansers this week we do. Um, so week yeah it's been a really good week so yeah. my, it's also been, it, this week has also been the longest year of my life. It's been awful. And but no, it's, <laughs> it's been, it was awful. And then it got awesome. Like it was like, yeah, yeah. yes. So it was so, yeah, it was so worth it. So <laughs> my palate cleanser is uh, just getting more specific with it. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Joe Biden winning was, was fantastic. And yesterday was just, inc- it was just an, an amazing day. You know, and I'm glad that Joe won. And I've always, you know, I've always kind of liked him. He was not my first choice, but he was always somebody that I right. thought was a very decent person and was trying his best in in, in situations. And he and, I, and he has like the most tragic friggin' story. And I, yeah, yeah. But my palate cleanser mm-hmm. is um, <clears throat> is Vice President Elect Kamala Harris. Who is the first female vice president mm-hmm. and subsequently is the first black female vice president. She is the first and, and, and South Asian first female South Asian vice president. Um, yep. There was, I believe, one vice president in the early 1900s that was part indigenous like part of a part of an indigenous nation. I found yeah. that out earlier because they were trying to say she's like the most <clears throat> like First person of color ever. Yeah, um, but um, he was uh, the, the guy, I forget who it was, was the first um, technical yeah. person of color. And yeah. first daughter of immigrants to, mm-hmm. you know, a first, you know, all of these different things. And she's also just a badass. And yeah. I mean, we could, have, we could go into a conversation about her, you know, her prosecution history, of course. But I think that there's so many ways in which she has shown that she genuinely is just trying mm-hmm. to do some things for the good of everyone and yeah. is, you know, very thoroughly invested in America. And last yeah. night watching her speak, it wasn't the fact that she was so like well-spoken. It was the fact that she was so happy. Like she was just so giddy and, and she it's- said, and when she said, I may be the first person, first woman in this role, but I will not be the last. And she yeah. was just like, 
she was like so excited it was very it was very weird watching a speech that radiated joy instead of bullshit like, yeah I I, <laughs> I I was sitting on my couch going I don't really know what to do with myself right now I know I was sitting here like <laughs> first of all it's like the first presidential address I've watched in like four and a half years four and years second of yeah. all no I did, I'm gonna say I have I did not watch a single speech of, no, of that Trump man in four um, years and never because no. I don't want to hear an abuse I don't want to hear abusive language because it's gonna because no, he's, he's, he's a garbage person and we don't need to and if the more you listen to abusive rhetoric the more it begins to more gaslights you so that's what I yeah exactly yeah exactly the more the more it normalizes it so to hear so, yeah. to hear her and then also to see Joe mention trans people mention disabled people mm-hmm. mention mm-hmm that mm-hmm. I mentioned how he wants to root out systemic racism mentioned that on Monday, he's, a, he's forming a coronavirus task force. That's going to be yeah. entirely made up of surgeon, former surgeon generals and a Yale epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. And, and it just made me so like hopeful and happy yeah. Yeah. for where our country is headed. It's it. I mean, obviously we've got a lot to do. Got a but, lot of fucking work, but, but, we're but this is to do it. This, this this weekend felt like the first deep breath I've taken since 2016. Yeah, 2018's midterms were good because it was like, ah, we won the house and we did really well in Connecticut, um, mm-hmm. gubernatorial-wise. Yeah. But this was just a moment of, this is, this is the, the step in the right direction. We, it, we needed yeah. to win this battle and you know it was like that thing of like we lost and then going back to lord of the rings we lost the battle we may have lost a couple of um you know skirmishes here and there but mm-hmm. we won the bat we we won the battle for middle earth like the you know we may have yeah. lost our various kind of helms deeps every once in a while because mm-hmm. like you know with kavanaugh and and and, and amy coney yeah, the, the supreme court is a fucking mess yes like, but something we're gonna have to deal with we i i think all of the the institutions that we have are going to now be following someone who I just trust is a decent person. If and nothing else, they're going to be following someone who isn't completely insane. That's true. Which is so going to be a very change of pace. So that's my palate cleanser. And I will say that when Lindsay and I got on this call, Lindsay was like, first things first. And we, we both like yelled and did a happy And we screamed and we for like 10 minutes. It was and great. we clapped. It was great. Yeah, so yeah, awesome. my pal cleanser is Madame Vice President um, Kamala Harris, pronounced Kamala. Yeah, Get it's it not that right. Hard. Yeah, come on. There, there's great shirts on Amazon that literally have a comma and la after it. And yeah. I think that that's so subtle and so lovely. And I might have to buy one of the shirts. So yay, yeah. yay, yay. So that's my pal yeah. cleanser. So my palate cleanser, my palate cleanser is very similar. Mine is all of the celebration videos on Twitter and Facebook from so yesterday good. and today. That was that was basically how I spent all of my day. We're recording on Sunday, yep. uh, November eighth. I spent pretty much all of Saturday from eleven thirty on, or like whenever whenever the official call was made, just um, refreshing Twitter. And we watching were, all of the celebrations. It's very videos. funny because we were chatting right before that. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we had made kind of a point of saying to mm-hmm. each other, okay, it's just about wait. Like, it's just a matter of when. Like, like it's just a, the waiting is yeah. annoying. Like, it's just, a, like, I think, we, yeah, we, yeah. Knew, we knew it was going to get we, called at, at some point 
soon. I was expecting, I was expecting it the next day to be totally honest. I was expecting it to go through the weekend. I Um, thought it was going to go. I thought it was going to go in that evening's dump of votes. Um, I was like, like, okay, I think it'll happen this afternoon in prime time. Like that's when I I think, I think, and what we said too, like when we were texting was like, I'm not even nervous anymore. Now I'm just annoyed. Yeah, it was like, (laughs) there was no stress about it. It was just like, okay, come on. No, it's like, all right, now it's it's time. And Um, then um, my best friend, Connie texted me and she said, they called, CNN called Pennsylvania for for Biden. And I said, and I did the math in my head and I was like, we did it. We don't even need Nevada. We did it. And I texted, and then I texted Lindsay. And then I heard kids in my neighborhood (gasps) running around screaming. And I was like, and then my, and then Connie said on the other side of town that people were like honking, going down the street and coming out and they're coming out of their houses and clapping. And I was just like, oh my God, we did it. Yeah. We did it. The, 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 yeah, the, the joy. (laughs) The sheer joy. All of those videos and and the relief, like, like you said, we definitely have our work cut out for us. Like this doesn't fix anything, but just knowing that like we're heading it puts a a better direction than we were it puts a tourniquet on the wounds it It stops the bleeding and now we can it gives us you know what you know what it does it gives us a place to go it doesn't fix anything it doesn't solve anything but it gives us a path forward hopefully after 2016 was like the 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 worry of like what was going to be done to us and then, and now it's like an excitement about what we get to do, like yeah. what we could be. And he's rejoining the climate exchange. Like the minute he gets yes. in office, he says, I am returning to the Paris climate agreement. I am, yeah. re- I am, you know, putting out the, I'm stamping out the virus. I'm doing this, you know, and he, when he, when he talked to the black people who voted for him in uh, his speech, when he said, you have always had my back and I will always have yours. Yeah. And um, I was watching with a friend of mine who was black and mm. I said, and he was like, and he said, you know, he was like, that man stood by Obama for eight years and never took the spotlight for himself. And yeah. that's like huge. Mm-hmm. And that was why, even though, again, wasn't my first, wasn't my top choice, but sure. I, when he won South Carolina, I remember going, that's it. Because he has this mm. immense, um, mandate that is, he has this immense kind of likability. Like you can't like, yeah. I, I, again, like, you know, I voted, I would have voted for someone else in the primary, but I'd be hard pressed to find like a really bad thing to say about Joe other than like, could go left a little bit more. Like, that's it. Like that's, I would love to, I would love to see that, but yeah, uh, it's like, yeah, it could have been, could have been, like, could be a little more left, but like, whatever, it's fine. But it's, but it's just nice to feel like we can breathe again. Oh, I was telling Lindsay, I woke up this morning and I was like, I'm not worried about someone blowing up a building in the middle of the night. You know what? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with all my spare time now that I'm not either drowning in existential dread or screaming into the void. That's going to be hours. It's freeing up so much of my time. (laughs) I'm like... I'm going to have to find a new hobby. I like my creativity <laughs> is back. Like, and I'm seeing all these people on Facebook and Twitter that are like all these authors and writers and creatives that I mm. follow who are like, I feel like I can create again. Like, I feel yeah. like I mm-hmm. can do some sort of output in that way again. And that's so yeah. lovely. It's um, fair, yeah. 
so yeah, we are so happy. We're, we're so, very happy. we're so relieved. Um, it's oh. like, um, there was a video of the bells ringing in Paris and on oh, SNL, I loved that. And on SNL, Colin Jost was like, do you know how, how awful you have to be for Paris to ring bells for you? He said, the ring Paris, bells for your downfall. <laughs> and, Paris, and, and he said, Paris didn't even ring bells for the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> like it was, really, <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. So, oh no, it's very, it's very, it's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. It's very so uh, that wraps up our discussion on the conjuring. We hope you all had a wonderful week. And we hope it was as good as ours was. <laughs> and get excited because we've got a bunch of really good movies coming up in our runoff and our run into our season finale, which will be. I guess it is the season finale, isn't it? Which will be in December. We've got a couple more episodes to go. We are it's super- weird to think of this like little dog and pony show as having seasons. Well, I like it. We are going to take a little bit of a break. Yeah, we, no, yeah, no. I mean, you're absolutely right. It just makes it feel like we're doing a real thing. I know. Um, <laughs> so, so we have a little bit of a break coming up yeah. in, in December for, you know, uh-huh. holidays and everything. And, mm-hmm. um, but we've got a lot of great episodes coming up. Next, yeah, we, we still got some stuff for you. The next Don't episode is gonna, we're going to get oh, real, maybe. we're going to get real gross. It's um, going to get weird. I'm so excited. <laughs> So we will see you then. Have a lovely rest of your day. Um, donate to the Georgia Senate races that are in January. This fight yes. is not over. So yes. um, please donate to uh, Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, we will see you next time on a new episode of Brides of Frankenstein. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right, so The Conjuring tells the story of the Perron family, uh, Carolyn, Roger, and their oh, daughter. Oh, it's the Perron family. Fuck me running, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say, fuck me running? Have you never heard that before? No. What, really? I've heard, I've heard uh, from Heather's fuck me gently with a chainsaw, but I've never heard. No, no, that's running. nothing. No, that's fuck me running. They say, they say it on uh, my brother, my brother and me all the time. Oh, that might be why. Cause I, I, I still, <laughs> I still need to like, now with my brother and brother and me, it's like, if you told someone to get in the last podcast on the left, like it's, there's just so much of it. Yeah, no, I, like, hear I hear you. Also Peron is just like Ava. Yeah, it's Evita. Ava yeah, Peron. Um, yeah. All right. So, so I'm sorry, say the name again. Parent. Parent. Okay. Parent. Like parrot, but with an N. With an N. <laughs> okay. Parent. Parent. The parent family. Tell the story of the parent family. Okay, I'm practicing. All right. Let me do that again. This is great. Great radio right here. Mm-hmm.